Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation to the fan. I'm Dave James. Home heating bills are expected to skyrocket this winter. In a moment, I'll talk to a natural gas executive in Pittsburgh about energy costs and supplies. Whooping cough becomes more common in the fall, and there's a vaccine for that. I'll talk with a doctor about it in about 15 minutes. Then courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend covers a number of topics. Coming up, presidential pardons on pot. We are taking a look at what President Biden's plan means for marijuana prosecutions at a state level. Midterm elections are right around the corner. I'm talking with Senator Sherrod Brown about some key races and the fight for power in the nation's capital. And we will take a look at how a local company is making it easier for families to afford rent. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with someone from the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute about the need for blood donations. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me, Toby Rice, who is the president of an organization called PAGE, which is Partnership to Address Global Emissions. He's also the president and CEO of the EQT Corporation. How are you? Doing well. Good morning. Thanks for talking to us. EQT Corporation is a natural gas producer based in Pittsburgh, and you're active in Ohio as well, right? That's right. EQT is America's largest natural gas producer in the country. We produce around 6 BCF a day of production, which is the energy equivalent of about a million barrels a day of oil, but all in clean natural gas. And we produce about uh, 10% of our production is based in Ohio, in Belmont County around the St. Clairsville area. Wow. Okay. You're also, as I mentioned, the president of PAGE, Partnership to Address Global Emissions. And what is that about? Yeah. So, you know, PAGE was set up, um, as the name implies, to address global emissions. The problem with the world right now, and I think everybody is noticing this, is that the energy transition that we're going down in this world designed to lower emissions um, has it has been going down the wrong direction, and we currently find ourselves in an energy crisis. Um, high oil prices, uh, pain at the pumps for gasoline, electricity prices are starting to increase across the country. These are all the symptoms of an energy crisis. Um, and as far as emissions are concerned, emissions around the world are soaring. So whether you care about the environment and the climate or you care about energy prices impacting consumers, everybody's feeling the pain of this. We created PAGE um, to provide real solutions that are going to end this energy crisis, and that solution is going to start right here in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia to increase natural gas production, to liquefy it and address the biggest source of emissions on the planet, which is foreign coal. And in doing so, we're going to create a surplus of energy here in the United States, and that's going to that's going to lower energy prices, um, help strengthen our energy security and, and the American families. And it's also going to be the biggest green initiative on the planet, lowering emissions by replacing foreign coal by using natural gas produced here in America. Well, this is coming at a time when, you know, natural gas prices are kind of making news these days. The Energy Information Administration's winter fuel outlook, which was just released yesterday, predicted a 28 percent increase in the cost of winter heating with natural gas. Biggest jump in 17 years. So while you're talking about more natural gas production and usage, it's coming at a time when folks are going to be seeing higher bills for it. 
Yeah, and, and people need to understand these high prices that we're currently um, experiencing, these are self-inflicted. Um, natural gas prices right now is, is trading around $6.50. For perspective, natural gas prices averaged uh, $4.50 over the last 20 years. Um, these prices are high today, and what we are saying is that we can lower energy prices if we're allowed to do the, the great work that we do. The one thing that we need um, that's going to allow us to add supply and lower prices is very simple. We just need access to more pipeline infrastructure here in this country. And unfortunately, our ability to get pipelines built have been challenged, blocked, or opposed over the past six years. That's preventing America's largest, the largest gas field in the world, the Marcellus Shale and the Utica Shale in, in Appalachia and Ohio, from adding more supply. If we get more pipelines, we can, we can add more supply, and that will have a tremendous impact on lowering prices for Americans. So um, we're, we're telling you as America's largest natural gas producer, we, we agree prices are too high. We need pipelines so that we can fix this and we have the ability to fix this. Well, this also would uh, enable you to liquefy it and send more of it over to Europe where they're in a real crisis right now because of the war in Ukraine and they're not getting their natural gas from Russia like they were. So obviously it would be lucrative for you, but there's concern here that we're shipping more of it overseas and our supply here is lower than normal. We're right now heading into the winter. We have a lower inventory than the five-year average, which might also be contributing to the increase in prices. So we're kind of selling off some of the stuff that we need to keep our prices low. Yeah. One thing that everybody needs to understand is we have the resource here in America to power, not only provide a significant amount of energy to keep energy prices low here in America. We have so much uh, energy in, in these shale reservoirs that we've discovered that we could power the world. Um, thanks to the shale revolution that, that's taken place. An absolute mir- industrial um, miracle was the, this industry, the energy industry transitioning to developing shale. The potential is large. We have the ability in this country to increase natural gas production by over 50% in current levels, and we do that here in America. That amount of energy is going to be a cr- tremendous surplus, and a surplus is what can be used for for exports to help our allies around the world. And to put this in perspective, this potential that we have, we have the the opportunity to increase our production, which is equivalent to an incremental 10 million barrels a day of oil, but it's all in clean energy. That's the potential. What's preventing us from reaching that potential is just getting more pipeline infrastructure. And I think everybody, if if you've heard about the pipeline cancellations, Mountain Valley Pipeline is a good example of the challenges that this industry is facing. Without these pipelines, we're not able to add the supply that this world critically needs. And our allies will find themselves, like in Europe, on their knees praying for mild weather because if they have a a cold winter, it's going to it's going to be very great and dire situation for them. So um, people just need to understand we, we exports mean surplus and surplus means lower prices for Americans and energy security for our allies around the world and the ability to, to lower emissions by, by replacing foreign coal. 
talking with Toby Rice, president of PAGE, the partnership to address global emissions, and also the president and CEO of EQT Corporation based in Pittsburgh. Uh, But also, when the supply is high, when there's a surplus of natural gas, your revenue goes down if the price goes down. And when that happens, you drill less. Hasn't there been less drilling for natural gas in the last couple of years than there were in the years before that as the price dropped? Well, the good news is this industry has really done an amazing job in lowering and becoming more efficient. And that means we can um, justify drilling at lower prices. And for perspective, EQT um, is is able to justify drilling with gas prices around $2. And you look at the market today and prices around $6, you say, wow, why isn't EQT drilling more? Um, Because clearly the price signal would justify that. And the reason is unfortunately the market is broken because we don't have sufficient pipeline infrastructure. We can't add any more production. You can't push a rope uphill. You can't produce more, more energy into a pipeline that is full. So if we get these pipelines built, that is the key for us to, to adding to production. And the inventory that we have, the ability to increase production, create this surplus here in the United States, um, we can, keep get, we can do that with a gas price that's lower than the 20-year average. And we believe we can put gas on the doorstep of Europe for a cost of $12, and that would imply a $4 gas price here in the United States. Consumers around the world would be, would be doing backflips for $12 energy because in Europe right now they're paying over $50. And American consumers should be excited about $4 natural gas here in the States. It's a significant discount to the uh, $7 that, that people are paying today. Um, and it's lower than the 20-year average, and American manufacturers would be thrilled because now that we've, we've, we will be able to create a situation where manufacturers can get their energy, which is a key factor for them to be profitable, at a cost that's two and a half times lower than anywhere else in the world. And so you, we're going to be able to enable a manufacturing re- uh, renaissance and onshore a lot of the manufacturing that people talk about. And this will be a boom in creating jobs here in America over and above the jobs that unleashing USLNG will, will do to create it on its own. Okay, but one more quick question then. You seem to indicate that you're running at near capacity based on the pipeline availability. But if that's the case, why are we at a, almost a 10% deficit of our five-year average of storage when in the past we've been able to store more than we are right now? Are there fewer pipelines now than there have been in past years, or, or are you just drilling less? Well, I, I will give you this one example. You know, we have the biggest gas field in the world. It's here in Appalachia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. And unfortunately, the pipelines that would connect this resource to the rest of the United States have, have been blocked. And so we do not have any more capacity to, to connect this low-cost supply with America and, and the world. Um, but I, the, the recent events that have taken place in Europe um, with the war in Ukraine from Russia have caused uh, an acceleration of the amount of LNG that we're shipping to our allies around the world. I think everybody would agree helping our allies and sending uh, our natural gas overseas to reduce Putin's influence on the world stage to make sure that our allies um, – or have some protection as they go into this winter. I don't think anybody would disagree that that wasn't the right thing to do. 
But what we want people to understand is we are just scratching the surface. We have the ability in this country to increase our, our LNG exports four times over. And those amount of exports would create a 50% surplus of energy in this country. And with this surplus, it's going to translate to lower prices. Our storage levels in this country will always stay full. And Americans and our manufacturers will benefit from the lowest energy prices in the world. We have the potential to do that. We just need more pipelines to make it happen. Talking with Toby Rice, the president of PAGE, the partnership to address global emissions and also the EQT Corporation in Pittsburgh, a natural gas producer. Uh, Toby, if folks want more information about PAGE or the issues you're talking about, can they find it online? Yes, our website, um, EQT.com, is the website of America's largest natural gas producer. Um, And then you can also go to pagecoalition.com and learn more about this amazing, this amazing opportunity to unleash USLNG, um, the biggest green initiative on the planet, the biggest key to energy security and low prices, and the biggest jobs creator in the country. So thanks for your time this morning, Dave. Great. Toby, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. All right. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just got to hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. Crispy, faded, lit, baked, toasty, stoned, blazed, zooted. When you're high, there are a lot of ways to say it. But there's only one thing you need to remember. Driving under the influence of marijuana is illegal everywhere. If you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Serving part-time in the Army National Guard has led to a lot of firsts for me. It paid for me to be the first person in my family to go to school. That education got me to the first day at my dream job, which I can still hold while I serve part-time. That job and the home loan benefits I got from the Army National Guard helped me buy my first house. I also know that I will be one of the first to respond if my community ever needs me. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Dr. Malon Hahn, who's a pulmonologist and critical care specialist with the University of Michigan Health System. How are you? Good morning. Good. Thanks for talking to us. You're uh, calling, uh, talking with us on behalf of the American Lung Association to talk about pertussis. What is that? Yeah, so pertussis. 
pertussis or bordetella pertussis is a bacteria uh, that causes whooping cough. Uh, now, a lot of people probably are, have heard of whooping cough, but they may not really know what it is. It uh, is an, a respiratory infection uh, that causes a really violent cough. And when I say violent, what I mean is to the point of throwing up, passing out, uh, breaking wrists. So the, the real message for people today is that there is actually a vaccination available and the American Lung Association is trying to get the word out, particularly for individuals with uh, chronic lung disease. But it's really important to not just at least get uh, one uh, vaccine dose as an adult, but there are also boosters available every 10 years. So really just trying to uh, get the word out for adults in particular today. And the name whooping cough actually comes from, I guess, the sound that people make when they're coughing, right? Right. So, I, you know, people cough so hard that they're, they actually, again, have a difficult time even just kind of getting a breath in, that, that they are coughing so much, and it causes that sort of that whooping sound. And people are probably, you know, again, think about this as being a disease of childhood, and, and we tend to be better about making sure kids get vaccinated. But the interesting thing is that adults actually make up the majority of cases in the U.S. typically. So... Uh, again, that's why we're really trying to help adults understand how important it is that they get vaccinated as well. And I would guess if you're uh, an older, well, I guess you wouldn't have to be older, if you're frail, you know, if somebody who has uh, congestive heart failure or any number of ailments that make them weak to begin with, this can just be devastating. You're absolutely right. So we have roughly, for instance, 20 million adults in the U.S. living with asthma, roughly 17 million adults with COPD. These are just, you know, two types of chronic uh, lung conditions. And these are the kinds of individuals that are going to be most vulnerable uh, from getting an infection. Obviously, the cough is really annoying, but we worry about things that can happen that would be even more severe, pneumonia, people ending up in the hospital, et cetera. So uh, that's why, again, we're really just trying to to get the word out, the uh, pertussis vaccine for adults is actually um, comes as part of a combination uh, vaccine with uh, tetanus and diphtheria. So there's a lot of reasons why uh, adults should uh, really be thinking about getting their vaccine. So it's tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. That's the, why they call it Tdap. Yep, yep, you're absolutely right. So, so the one that's available for kids, it's got the same mix, but it's called Dtap, and then the one that's for adults is called Tdap. So. It's, it's recommended that all adults get at least one dose, uh, but to consider a booster every 10 years. And it's really important that, uh, again, individuals with chronic conditions like chronic lung disease really, again, chat with their doctor. And part of the reason why we're talking about this today is that uh, just like other diseases tend to pop up during certain times of the year, uh, pertussis in particular tends to be a late summer fall uh, predominant disease. So now really is the time for people to be thinking about that and, and again, chatting with their doctor about whether uh, vaccination is appropriate for them. Talking with Dr. Melon Han, she's a pulmonologist and critical care specialist. Can people get this vaccine with a COVID vaccine or a flu shot? You know, that's a really good question. So there is data on getting flu and COVID together, and there's data on getting flu and pertussis together. I have not seen data, for instance, on all three. Um, So you can definitely get it along with your flu uh, vaccine for sure. And again, if people have questions, they should uh, chat with with their doctor. But but yes, you're absolutely right, because this is fall. This is when people should be thinking about getting their flu shots as well. 
so, th- so that would be a combination that uh, that people uh, can get. Now, sometimes I get asked, for instance, about what side effects you expect. I think the side effects from the this vaccine are very similar to other vaccines and include, you know, sore arm, maybe feeling off uh, for a few days, but certainly nothing compared to actually getting whooping cough itself. You know, as an aside, uh, there was one round during all this COVID stuff going on when I got a COVID shot, a Tdap, a flu shot, and the shingles vaccine all at the same time, and I probably probably wouldn't do that again. <laughs> well, yeah, of those, I think the shingles vaccine is the one that's most notorious for side effects. Right. So uh, I can imagine that was a doozy. But I think that the Tdap, generally speaking, is is a little bit closer to, for instance, the the flu vaccine. So that uh, yeah, I'm I'm not sure I would recommend that <laughs> from a side effect perspective, not from a safety perspective. Um, but, uh, you know, now really is the, the time for people to be, as you point out, thinking about flu, but also I don't know how many people are, are you know, really got the message that the new Omicron is bo- boosters are out for COVID as well. So there's a lot of reasons for people to be checking in with their doctors just to make sure they're kind of up to date. When it comes to whooping cough, how do you know you have it? Uh, I mean, you know, we all kind of go through bouts of coughing, but maybe just for a few minutes and then you're done with it. But this, I guess, goes on and on and on. Right. So as opposed to just, you know, the, a standard, say, mild cough that you would get with a typical upper respiratory infection, this is violent to the point of people passing out, breaking ribs, vomiting, et cetera. And it's very prolonged, weeks, oh. sometimes even months. Uh, so uh, there are tests available to, to diagnose it. So if people are concerned that they might actually have whooping cough, uh, they should definitely uh, call their doctor uh, and, and, you know, go in and get tested. And there are treatments available for acute whooping cough. What we're really trying to do today is to get the word out about prevention so people don't uh, end up in that situation in the first place. Why do you suppose uh, only 30% are getting it? Is it just a, a, an awareness thing? Because especially these days, you, you wouldn't even necessarily have to have a family doctor that you see regularly. You can go into one of these pharmacies now and get this stuff. I think people just aren't aware. Um, you know, we're really good, I think, as a society in general about making sure kids get vaccinated because kids go to the doctor regularly. That's just what we do. We take them into the pediatrician, and the pediatrician makes sure that kids get their sort of series and then schools make sure you know that you have to provide schools with those vaccination records but as adults and i think particularly during the pandemic a lot of us have not been getting our regular health care <laughs> it's just easier not to go in or we let those visits lapse and so if you're not going in regularly there's no one there to remind you that oh by the way you're due for you know x y or z at this particular age so i think that's part of the reason why we as adults just are, are less aware and just are not as good about um, about getting those vaccines. And so, again, that's, that's why I'm here today to try to remind people. And, you know, if people want more information about vaccines in general, um, as well as the pertussis vaccine, I encourage people to check out the American Lung Association website, lung.org forward slash pertussis, for instance, will give them more information specifically about what we're talking about today and give them some talking points to chat with their doctor about. That's great. Dr. Melon Han joining us. She's a pulmonologist and critical care specialist. She's also a professor of internal medicine in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Michigan Health System. Thanks so much for your time. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, you know, I, 
I think uh, just uh, to remind people that, again, we've said this a few times, but this is vaccination season. So please think about your pertussis vaccine, but also think about your flu and your uh, COVID boosters. The, The best thing you can do to keep yourself and your family's healthy through the fall, as well as reduce burden on the healthcare system, is is to focus on prevention, and that's really getting vaccines like the protective vaccines. Okay, uh, looking forward to the game next month, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for your time. Have a good day. Mm, bye bye. Science is not an opinion. People come before pipelines. It's not too late to act on climate. No one is above the law. At Earth Justice, we hold these beliefs to be self-evident. As a national legal nonprofit fighting for your right to a healthy environment, we are 150-plus lawyers representing clients free of charge because now, more than ever, the Earth needs a good lawyer. No one fights more cases on the environment than Earth Justice. And we win because these are fights we cannot lose. We win for scientists so they can serve at the EPA. We win at the Supreme Court because clean water is for everyone. We win against fossil fuel plants so communities can breathe freely. If you believe what we believe, then help us fight the good fight and help us keep winning by going to earthjustice.org today. That's earthjustice.org. Each year, Ohioans are injured and killed in train car accidents that could have been avoided with properly functioning gates and flashing lights. Facts show that gates and lights together prevent more train car accidents than stop signs or crossbucks alone. How can you help? Approach all crossings with caution and report bad railroad crossings at angelsontrack.org. That's angelsontrack.org. Because bad crossings kill good drivers. Sponsored by Angels on Track, aired by OAB and this station. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. It's time that we right these wrongs. President Biden announces a plan to change how marijuana is prosecuted. We look at what this could mean for Ohio. And I sit down with Senator Sherrod Brown. You'll hear him weigh in on the upcoming election and the fight for power. But first... We will abolish abortion! The mission for hundreds of people who marched through downtown Columbus. Days later, more people marched for women's rights. The debate over abortion is top of mind in our state right now. Thank you so much for joining us for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. More Ohio women received abortions in 2021, the year before the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and several other years. New data from the state health department shows the increase. Doctors perform more than 21,000 abortions. That's up 7% when compared to 2020. The data also shows 60% of abortions in 2021 were performed in the first nine weeks of the pregnancy. For some context here, the Ohio heartbeat bill bans abortions 
restrictions after six weeks. Right now, that ban is on hold. At the same time, other states are looking at further restrictions on abortion. Missouri, for example, is considering making it a crime for women to travel out of state to terminate a pregnancy. And the state of Texas is looking to crack down on the practice of sending the drugs by mail to people's homes. Could Ohio do the same thing? And if the state tried, would it be legal? 10TV's Kevin Landers looks into what lawmakers say some could happen in November. Ohio lawmakers won't return to the state house until mid-November, and when they do, anti-abortion lobbyist Michael Ganadakis says there are no plans to introduce legislation to ban the travel of women seeking abortions out of state. Look, a woman that lives in Toledo or anywhere in Ohio can drive to Detroit, Pennsylvania, and other states, whether we pass something or not, uh, based on how many weeks pregnant they are. So um, it's unconstitutional to ban travel in between states, and we're not attempting to do that, and I know no one across the street that wants to do that either. Constitutional law professor Tracy Thomas of the University of Akron says while there are strong indications from the U.S. Supreme Court that travel is protected, the court hasn't said that. We have some pretty strong statements from the U.S. Supreme Court that there is a right to travel and that you could go to other states, although it's a very underdeveloped area of the law. Associate Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh appears to provide further clarity. Justice Kavanaugh in the the Dobbs abortion opinion itself said he thought that the right to travel absolutely protected women who would travel across state lines. Michigan has found the abortion ban unconstitutional and has chosen not to work with states wishing to prosecute out-of-state women that seek an abortion there. Indiana is another option. It recently passed a ban with some exceptions. The other option is Pennsylvania, although there are limits at 24 weeks gestational age. The governor has signed an executive order to protect abortion providers and those seeking abortions from other states. But what about women who purchase abortion pills online? Ohio Right to Life says it has no plans to restrict them. So we're not naive. We understand that it's going, the pill will be able to still come into this state even if we ban abortion. Well, it's impossible to create a state law that would regulate the Internet or the postal service delivery. So we're not even going to attempt to do that. Professor Thomas agrees. The state's ability to regulate interstate commerce is only if the federal government is not doing so. And that was Kevin Landers reporting. You know, typically a national march for life happens every January in Washington, D.C. But now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned and the issue of abortion is being argued on the state level, the marches are happening closer to home. 10TV's Brittany Bailey was at the march in Columbus. They stepped off from the state house with a mission and a message. And we will abolish abortion. We are And that is exactly why this first ever Ohio March for Life is happening here in our state. Now that Roe versus Wade has been overturned, the focus is moving from the nation's capital to our state capital. Now is our time. State Rep Jenna Powell took the stage along with nearly two dozen state lawmakers at the rally. And their mission was crystal clear. They won't stop with the heartbeat bill, which is now on pause. The goal is to pass the Personhood Act, which would make abortion illegal from the point of conception. And we will do everything we can to end abortion and make Ohio the most pro-life, pro-family state in the nation. And we saw that support from college students. We're here to fight for the unborn and 
stand up for life from womb to tomb. And from women who have seen both the pre-Roe v. Wade and post-Roe v. Wade America. You see the young people, you see the old people, they're all so enthused to be here because they do want Roe v. Wade to continue through the state's legislation and they just want everything to to be how it used to be, that all life is respected. 10 TV's Brittany Bailey reporting. Men and women from all over central Ohio also marched for women's rights. Organizers say the fight for reproductive rights brings a lot of anger, but also hope. Especially people that are born into bodies like ours, it's a lot different for us because that was one guaranteed thing we thought we had with Roe. And it's our bodies. And then you hear from politicians and governors that, you know, no, this is the state's body. And that's ridiculous. So probably rage and heartbreak on a singular level. But together, when you're doing an action, it's a lot of togetherness and camaraderie. And, you know, it's hard not to be inspired by that. Abortion is sure to be top of mind for many voters in our state. We talk with Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown, who says he's advocating for all Ohioans to have access to abortion services. I'm going to a number of university campuses. I'm Cleveland State and Ohio State, and I'm hearing from a lot of young women. You can see a surge, and young men, too, Mm -hmm. um, young people overall, but especially young women. A lot more women are registering to vote, and I think they're they're angry that people that look like me in politics or Mike DeWine um, are making those decisions about their health and their bodies, and it ought to be Mm hands-off. Government shouldn't be involved in that. Coming up next, Senator Brown will weigh in on the upcoming Senate race. Plus, the candidates for governor take the same stage in Columbus, but not at the same time. Why they won't debate, and we'll talk about the promises they're making as it relates to education in Ohio. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Between business life, social life and her best bud Loki Beverly has a lot to focus on especially while fighting Stargard a blinding retinal disease but she's not fighting alone for 50 years the foundation fighting blindness has funded research into treatments and cures for blinding retinal diseases providing hope to people with vision loss and for Beverly winning the fight means focusing on what's closest to her the foundation fighting blindness together we're winning Help us end blinding diseases at fightingblindness.org. One in four Americans have a disability. I'm one of them. I'm also a working mom who cares deeply about making sure every child with a disability thrives by getting their access needs met. We've got a trusted ally by our side. Easter Seals provides children and families the foundation for lifelong success through early learning programs, skills training, and prep for college and career. That's my Easter Seals. Make it yours. Join us at EasterSeals.com. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Welcome back. The U.S. Senate is on recess until mid-November. We had the opportunity to sit down with Ohio's U.S. Senator, Sherrod Brown. He's doing a series of roundtable talks with veterans, stopping by college campuses to campaign and urge young people to vote. I asked him about the race for Ohio's second U.S. Senate seat and the implications for which party will control the Senate. Elections aren't about, is this candidate liberal, conservative? Most voters don't think in those terms. They think, is this candidate on my side? And I may 
make this contrast um, with with Tim Ryan, who clearly has spent his career fighting for better trade agreements, better tax policy, uh, low income kids, giving people opportunities, providing jobs. And I contrast that with J.D. Vance, who I really don't quite know what he thinks because he was a big anti-Trumper. And then when he ran, he decided he was a Trump's biggest cheerleader. And I and I he has spent his life with hedge funds and private equity. And I don't really know. And he spent his life mostly outside Ohio. I mean, I knew he grew up, mostly grew up here, but I just don't see him tuned in the way Tim Ryan is uh, to the, 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 the lives and the, the people in our 88 counties. I mean, Tim's been everywhere. I don't know that J.D. Vance has really paid that much attention to the state. Democrat Tim Ryan and Republican J.D. Vance are in this race for the seat currently held by Senator Rob Portman, who was elected to the Senate back in 2010 and will retire this year. There were some sharp words between the candidates for governor, even though they will not debate each other. Both are being pressured to reveal their plans for education and child care. And there is no doubt it's been a rocky start to the school year, as some school districts, including the Columbus City School Districts, face teacher strikes, while others are just trying to keep up with the challenges the pandemic brought them. TNTV's Kevin Landers explains what the candidates are pledging to do. He has failed to deliver for Ohio kids. Democrat Nan Whaley, trailing in the polls to win election as governor, turned a conference about improving education in Ohio to attacking Governor Mike DeWine for failing to debate her about the issues facing the state. It is disrespectful, not necessarily to me, but to the voters. As schools look for normalcy following the pandemic. As governor, how would you address the incredible challenges that our children serving workforce faces. A top question for the candidates, how they intend to fix a glaring problem, education readiness. Last year, the Education Department found nearly two-thirds of Ohio kindergartners were not ready for the next grade. The first goal has to be to make sure that child, when they go to kindergarten, they're, they're up to the starting line. This is a really, really uh, personal decision for families. And so making sure that instead of government says fit into our mold, but instead we say we want to fit into yours family, I think is really, really important. DeWine says his administration required all child care providers to be star rated so parents know which daycares are performing at the highest level or lowest level. He told the crowd he plans to expand the eligibility for publicly funded child care by raising the poverty rate for those who qualify from 130 percent. I plan to increase this to at least 150 percent in, in our next budget. We spoke to people who came to listen to the candidates. Many are parents who are concerned how the state is ensuring families can afford child care and increase worker salaries. I think the average child care worker in Ohio makes about 1071 an hour. Others say the state needs to do more to incentivize people to take these important jobs. The bonuses and things just really aren't working. With the election nearly a month away, both candidates are trying to give voters an easy choice on who to vote for. Without a debate, we get comments like this. He won't actually debate me on these issues. He was here an hour ago, and that's the closest we'll get to a debate. And again, that was Kevin Landers reporting for us. And if you need to check your registration status or find your polling place, we can help you. Our digital team collected everything you need to know before the election. Simply text the word VOTE to 614-460-3345 and we'll send you a link. And with the election, you are going to start to see more campaign ads. With many ads, you will hear 
I approve this message. But where does that come from? And do politicians have to always say that in their ads? Charlotte Megan Bragg has your Verify Fact Check. I'm Ted Budd, and I approve this message. A line you will hear more and more with the November election right around the corner. A viewer asked, where does that come from, and do politicians always have to say it? For answers, we went to Catawba College political professor Michael Bitzer, the stand-by-your-ad provision of the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act, and the Federal Election Commission, also known as the FEC. In 2002, the Bipartisan Campaign Finance Reform Act was passed. In it, a provision that requires candidates running for federal office to claim their ads. It is federal law that all candidates have to acknowledge that if they are paying for this particular ad, they have to claim credit and responsibility for it. The FEC is very specific about how the message should appear. The written statement must come at the end of the ad, appear for at least four seconds, and must be clearly readable. So why is this provision in place? The belief was that perhaps if candidates have to take ownership of the ad's message, that perhaps it might tone down the kind of negativism that we have seen in attack ads. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. Though negative ads are still abundant on TV and social media, candidates have to take ownership if they're the ones paying for it. With your Verify Fact Check, I'm Megan Bragg. In November, Columbus voters will weigh in on a bond issue that could bring more affordable housing options. The $1.5 billion package includes money for recreation and parks and public utilities. $200 million would go to expanding affordable housing. We're looking at just how expensive it is to rent a house in our in our state. Union County is the most expensive place to rent in the state. The National Low Income Housing Coalition says a person would need to earn more than $20 an hour to afford a two bedroom apartment. Columbus ranks as the second most expensive for renters. A person would need to earn just under $20 an hour to afford a two-bedroom apartment. That compares to the average statewide hourly wage for renters of $17 an hour. 10TV's Kevin Landers explains how a local company is making it easier for families to afford rent and so much more. Apartments like this one in Reynoldsburg were once out of reach for low wage earners, but not anymore. Thanks to a rental assistance program called Move to Prosper, families can now live here in safer neighborhoods and grow their careers. Come down, please. 33-year-old Sherilyn Elkins is a single parent of a fourth grader and says until three years ago, she didn't know where their lives were going. Without this program, where do you think you'd be? The scary part is I don't know. She's talking about Move to Prosper, a project started by Ohio State that is helping families like Elkert's leave crime-ridden neighborhoods and place their children in high-performing schools. I was terrified of the neighborhood that I grew up in. My daughter saw two shootings just two doors down, two separate times, and she once she was in the window and another one she was outside playing. The terror that you feel as a parent knowing that you can't do anything in that moment to protect your child. Move to Prosper helps pay $400 towards rent. The client pays the rest. That's critical in a housing market where more than 20,000 apartments in Franklin County were lost in the $500 to $900 price range and replaced with much higher rents, according to the Affordable Housing Alliance of Central Ohio. 
Move to Prosper isn't just about rental assistance. We've helped them find new jobs. We've helped them find new careers. The program also mandates that clients see a financial planner and life coach during its three-year program. In July, it graduated its first 10 families. Elkins is one of them. For those 10 families, we were able to help them, on average, raise their income by 58%, which is about $17,000 over the course of the program. Elkins says the program not only improved her living conditions, it also improved her financial IQ. I saved a lot of money by learning how to shop the perimeter of the store. Uh, not only were we eating healthier, but we were. I was also paying more attention to the actual price as opposed to just throwing things in the cart. Move to Prosper is looking for more clients and plans to add 16 more families next month. You can learn more about the program by going to our website at 10TV.com. Reporting from Reynoldsburg, Kevin Landers, 10TV News. We told you recently how the student loan forgiveness program works. After the break, we'll explain exactly which loans apply after a recent change to the program. And up next, a survival story. I talk with a woman who beat breast cancer and is now helping others make strides through treatment. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having... Um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives. But he was there beside me. And my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. At Social Security, we are always thinking of ways to save you time and make things easier. That's why we created My Social Security. Opening a My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal record and interactive tools tailored for you. You can see if you are eligible to receive benefits, view spousal benefit estimates, and compare retirement benefit estimates at different ages or dates when you want to start receiving benefits. Already receiving benefits? Use your account to change your address, set up or change direct deposit, get a proof of income letter, and more. In most states, you can also request a replacement Social Security card. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash myaccount. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Need to visit the Ohio BMV? Go online first. It could save you a trip. It's now easier and more convenient than ever to get what you need from the BMV online. Need to renew your driver's license? Renew online. And if you need to renew your vehicle registration, visit one of our new BMV Express kiosks or go online. If you do need to visit a BMV agency, use the Get In Line online tool, also found on the website, to save your spot and minimize your time waiting. For more services available online, check out bmv.ohio.gov. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. The Biden administration has a warning for students ahead of the new loan forgiveness application before that opens up. And this advice is important. Look out for scammers. An email from the administration reminded people 
to not pay someone who promises relief. The application will be free. Don't reveal account information to anyone who contacts you and don't refinance your loans unless you completely understand the risks. A recent change to the president's forgiveness plan has some questioning if they're going to be eligible. Ariane Datil and our National Verified team walk us through the change and what it means. Millions of Americans will soon be able to apply for up to $20,000 in federal student loan debt relief under President Biden's new program. But some people on social media are claiming that a change made by the Department of Education now excludes some borrowers who thought they were getting relief. So let's verify. Did the Biden administration make a change to the student loan forgiveness plan that excludes some borrowers from relief? The answer is yes. The Department of Education changed which loans qualify for forgiveness. Using these sources, I'll walk you through which ones are no longer eligible and why the change was made. Using the Wayback Machine, an internet archive tool, Verify compared what the Department of Education website said on September 27th and the 29th. On the 27th, it said that borrowers with privately held federal student loans could receive relief by consolidating these loans into the direct loan program. But now the site says borrowers with federal student loans not held by ED cannot obtain one-time debt relief by consolidating those loans into direct loans. So what does that mean? Well, now people with federal family education loans and Perkins loans that are held by private lenders and not by the Department of Education are no longer eligible for relief. But there's one exception. If these borrowers applied to consolidate their loans into the Department of Education's federal direct loan program before September 29th, 2022, then they're still eligible for student loan forgiveness. The Department of Education says the changes were made to, quote, provide relief to as many eligible borrowers as quickly and easily as possible, and that it's still exploring legally available options to offer relief to Fell and Perkins borrowers. Jessica Thompson, vice president at the Institute for College Access and Success, believes the change in the eligibility reflects the department's concern about a legal challenge from private businesses who hold those loans. With your Verify, I'm Ariande Till. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Right now, if you haven't scheduled a mammogram, please do that this week. American Cancer Society had its Making Strides Walk, which focused on picking up the pace for screening, diagnosis, and treatment. Nearly 20 years after winning the American Cancer Society's Courage Award, Jean Enstedt's survivor story. I guarantee you that if I had not had that mammogram done, I would not have had it done. I know myself. I would not be here. Is one for the books. And get this, she's written one. A Journey of Hope to Heaven and Back tells the saga of her health journey, which includes several heart surgeries and a 2003 diagnosis of breast cancer. They were debating, do we do the open heart surgery first or do we do the mastectomy? So, you know, here we are deciding which major surgery do we do first. You know, obviously they did the mastectomy. Did the heart, my heart held up well. Instat encourages screening and says the American Cancer Society's Making Strides Walk is the perfect opportunity to ensure that others get the message while funding the future of breast cancer research and programs today and in the years to come. Don't forget to schedule your mammogram and call a friend or family member and remind them to do the same. We also thank you for being here with us today, and we wish you a great week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. Here's Tracy with information about what you can see this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Good morning. I'm Tracy Townsend. Coming up on Face the State, just in time for early voting in Ohio, we are looking at which candidates are debating, who's saying no, and the steps being taken to increase protection for poll workers. 
We'll also look at why Ohio is the one state in the nation where strangulation is not a felony. We'll take a look at how a proposed change will impact survivors of domestic violence. We'll see you at 1130 for Face the State. When you're high, you feel different. You think different, you talk different, you draw different, you listen to music different, but you probably knew that. Problem is, you also drive different, and not in a good way. That's why driving high is illegal everywhere. So if you're high, just don't drive. Make a plan to get a sober ride. Because if you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. If you turn 65 this year, you are eligible for Medicare. To help you understand your choices and possibility of financial assistance, the Ohio Department of Insurance is holding Welcome to Medicare events across the state. So join us at a free event near you. Make sure your plan suits your budget and your needs. For more information, contact the Ohio Department of Insurance at 1-800-686-1578 or go online at insurance.ohio.gov. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Dr. Julie Panapento, who is the acting director for the Division of Blood Diseases and Resources with the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. How are you? I'm good, Dave. Thank you so much for having me here today to talk about the importance of giving blood. We're going to talk about that and also tie it in, I understand, with sickle cell disease. Can you talk about that? That's correct. That's uh we know that blood transfusions are really life-saving for sickle cell disease, which is a debilitating uh, blood disease that uh, you are born with and diagnosed at birth. And having blood transfusions can be life-saving, not only for sickle cell disease, but many other uh, conditions. And I see that uh, there's about 100,000 people impacted nationwide by this, and this is primarily people of color, correct? For sickle cell disease in the United States, that is correct. And so an ongoing supply is needed, and you've brought up the importance of Everyone should give blood, but especially those that uh, might have um, be able to match diversity. So in sickle cell disease, given the ongoing need for blood transfusions, they uh, often need to have blood uh, matched very closely. And so having some diversity is important because some blood types are unique to specific racial and ethnic groups. That's interesting. So genetically similar blood. So I guess there's almost like, in a way, like organ donations, you need a a proper uh, match when it comes to a blood donation? So that is correct. You do need proper matching for blood uh, donation. And so that uh, illustrates really even more the importance of having donors and ongoing donors to keep our blood supply uh, stable because giving really is living, which is part of the campaign and and part of what we're here today to talk about. So that is what you're uh, doing, I guess, is uh, trying to reach out more to the African-American community to give blood? Yes. In general, we're trying to get more donors because COVID-19, as you might know, really disrupted the blood and plasma donations. And in January of this year, the American Red Cross announced that the United States was facing the worst blood shortage in over a decade. So although the supply has gotten better, there are still shortages and fluctuations throughout the year. And so we're here to try to uh, promote donors giving. Um, And as you talked about with sickle cell disease, it's along with other uh, disorders is really life-saving. And I can give an example of Heather who shared her story. She's from Fort Worth, Texas. She lives with sickle cell disease and has relied upon the life-saving blood transfusions at multiple occasions throughout her life. Um, including when she had a cesarean section for the birth of her son where she needed blood transfusions. Mm. I'm uh, old enough to remember decades ago when sickle cell anemia, uh, as they called it, was 
it seems like more often than not fatal and in, that we've come a long way since then. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, although the lifespan of someone with sickle cell anemia in the United States is still shortened compared to uh, those without sickle cell disease, certainly uh, children are staying um, alive and have a, a much higher survival rate, although our adults still face many many uh, barriers and disease complications. What are the symptoms or uh, what's happening with folks who have this? So the most common complication related to sickle cell disease is what we call a vaso-occlusive crisis, and that's related to the sickled red blood cell, which generally most commonly results in a patient or an individual with sickle cell disease experiencing pain, and pain so severe that they need pretty uh, significant medications to treat it and often are hospitalized. But that same event can cause problems with almost any organ in the body. So is it sort of an internal pain or does it feel like joint pain or what is it? That's a good question. Our patients or individuals with sickle cell disease have many different words that they use to describe their pain events, including stabbing. And so it really, I think, is uh, somewhat individual in how they experience it and how they share that. Um, But we do know that blood donation and blood uh, transfusions for individuals with sickle cell disease can help circumvent some of the pain and and be used in a preventive manner, in addition to being life-saving and preventing things such as stroke, which is a a real life-threatening complication. Talking with Dr. Julie Panapento, she's with the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. What are some of the ways that you're reaching out to try to get more people to give blood? So in The HHS would start the Giving and Living campaign. They have partnered with uh, not only federal partners, but also others in this campaign to really reach out and and help people understand that giving blood is essential to the health of our nation and our communities. And I think not only uh, sickle cell anemia, but other uh, cases such as Earl, who shared his story. He was an Army veteran who was hit by a roadside bomb in Afghanistan and experienced massive blood loss, and in that setting need, needed uh, several blood transfusions, which, again, were part of a life-saving treatment. So it's essential that we have donors to keep our blood supply stable um, and to uh, help overcome the shortages. So a steady supply is really what we're looking for, and part of this campaign is to get out there and remind people uh, that they can be donors and be part of that life-saving campaign. I know that the pandemic, as you mentioned, really uh, put a kink in the system of collecting blood. It's amazing that it endured the way it did, though. I mean, when you think about how people for more than a year, a lot of people practically never left the house, and for the blood supply system to still be at least able to save lives and, and be there is pretty amazing. Yes, so it has increased since, but there are still really shortages and fluctuations, which has always been there. And I think we are out there really wanting because only 3% of age-eligible people will donate blood yearly. And you can donate up to six times per year, but even donating twice a year will make a big difference and help to create a sustainable supply of blood. And it seems like maybe, and I'm not, I don't have any numbers on this, but it seems like it would be logical that a lot of retired folks would be uh, giving blood because they have the time to do it. And yet with the pandemic, those are the people who were most likely to get out of circulation and stay home. So generally, anyone can be a donor if you're 17 years or or older or 16 with your parents' consent. You do have to be 110 pounds and be in pretty good health. Um, It doesn't take a long time. And uh, as I noted, it's really the giving is living, uh, life-saving to be a donor for those that need blood and plasma. 
Dr. Panapento, if folks want more information, do you recommend a website? Yes, so the hhs.gov giving equals living. You can learn more and you can also find a donation center near you to become a donor. Okay, Dr. Julie Panapento, she's the Acting Director, Division of Blood Diseases and Resources for the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Dave. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation to the fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.